This is the Bates Bobcast, our weekly podcast where we take a look at the week that was in Bates Athletics. My name is Aaron Morrison. For the summer months on the Bobcast, we are taking a trip down memory lane with student athletes and coaches from the past. This week, we catch up with Will Beauregard, five-time All-American and the 2006 Men's Tennis NCAA Singles Champion. That's coming up on the Bates Bobcast. Will Beauregard was the national runner-up in 2005, entered the 2006 NCAA Men's Tennis Singles Championships as a senior unseated in the field of 32. He proceeded to run the table, winning the national title. He became the first non-track and field bait student athlete to capture an NCAA championship. Then he went on to have a 13-year professional career, becoming the head tennis coach at Sacred Heart University in 2017. Today, Beauregard joins the Bobcast to discuss his time as a Bobcat and his long grind to make it in the professional ranks. When and why do you start playing tennis and what eventually led you to become a Bobcat? First, Aaron, thanks for having me on. It's a privilege to be here and I'm happy to uh, answer some of the questions and I hope uh, people listening will uh, get some you know, value out of it. So just to answer the question about you know, tennis and growing up, um, it's been in my family for a couple of generations now um, at a recreational level. And so it's just, it's just a family sport and we always really enjoyed it. My mother brought me out on the courts um, when I was very small, four or five years old to our local elementary school courts. And um, I just got the bug like right away. And so she started bringing me out almost daily. And then uh, there was a hitting wall there and I started hitting against this wall and uh, I felt just, you know, I was hitting against our garage door. I was hitting against the wall wherever. And I just found that interaction of the ball and the racket um, just fun, I guess. And um, by seven, I started taking private lessons and um, we had a local sponsor because uh, my mom was an acupuncturist and she was a single mother with two boys. So she didn't really have all that extra uh, money to, you know, uh, pay for private tennis lessons every single day, you know. But one of the local uh, coaches, Stanley Matthews over at Four Seasons in Wilton, Connecticut, um, he just saw, you know, potential in me right away. And so he talked to one of the kind of wealthier members of the club and said, you know, would you be willing to sponsor um, William and, and actually my brother as well. So both of us were receiving um, you know, lessons and clinics and, and then we'd go to the tournaments and things a little bit later, obviously. But uh, I played my first tournament when I was like eight and um, I was just always into it. You know, I was super competitive, um, you know, from, from right away. I wanted to win badly all the time. I would cry after matches if I lost. And, um, you know, I just it was just important to me for whatever reason to be good at it. And uh, that kind of led me to just play a lot. And I think in the summers, playing eight hours a day. Um, you know, my mom would basically just drop us off uh, at the club and, you know, she'd go to the office and treat her patients. And, um, and we would just, my brother and I would be there all day long. And um, they had hitting walls also at the club. So even if we weren't in clinics or in our lessons, we, I would, you know, love to be out on those walls and hitting. So I was always um, just doing that. And that eventually led me to um, become number one in New England. Um, you know, in the 18 and unders. And, and that's when, you know, I caught the eye of a lot of the coaches around the country. And um, I had offers from, you know, Wake Forest, uh, University of Richmond, um, Penn State, um, you know, and a lot of schools. Uh, but those were kind of the main, the main ones that I was looking at and took recruiting trips to. And then um, how I went, ended up at Bates was um, Dave Meyer, who uh, is also a Bates alum, uh, he was a member at Four Seasons Tennis Club, and, you know, uh, he's older than I am. Uh, so he said, hey, why don't you, you know, come and check out Bates, um, you know. And so I just went up for a, a recruiting trip, and I honestly didn't even – I wasn't really going to go there um, because I wasn't thinking Division Three. Uh, but when I got there, you know, I fell in love with the campus. It was so beautiful. Um, the coach was – amazing uh he had told me about his experiences on tour that being ivan lendl's hitting partner and that he played you know on the tour as well 
and I just felt in good hands with him. Dave, you know, obviously was a friend of mine, so I'd known him for a really long time growing up. So I felt comfortable with him and his, you know, advice to me. I was a pre, I was also pre-med. So part of the thing too, is that my um, sponsor growing up, um, he kind of the deal was I'm going to sponsor your tennis so that you can use that to help you get into the best school possible. So then you can go and become a doctor. And I would wanted to do that for a very long time. I was always really interested in anatomy and physiology and science and that kind of stuff was just very, um, those were my subjects that I preferred to take in school and looked forward to. Um, so that was something that we had kind of decided was going to be the path. And um, my original sponsor, um, he likes to remain anonymous. So I'm, I'm not really at liberty to say who he was, but he was a CEO of a very like powerful, large corporation. And um, they were in the medical space. So his kind of thing was that he sponsored people and paid for their educations um, to become doctors. And so he kind of funded, he would pay for their medical school and he would help them, you know, um, kind of just become doctors. So that was his thing. He just felt like the world needed a lot more doctors. And that was what we had planned on doing. Um, so when I went, to, when I ended up at Bates, it was because I kind of thought that division one, um, in my scholarship was going to really be on the line there. And I just was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to keep up with the D1 um, intensity and schedule. And there's a lot of travel, a lot more traveling and flying around the country and things like, you know, um, so I was just nervous about that and the tutors and whatever else that goes along with it, even though they reassured me so many times that, oh, it's fine, you'll be fine. Um, I just felt like division three maybe would offer what I needed in terms of very competitive, you know, NESCAC being very strong, um, you know, essentially trying to win the NESCAC title is like winning the nationals. It's, it's, you know, it is the strongest conference by a lot. Um, there are other schools in D3 that are great, um, but, you know, just in general, the, the, the NESCAC is, is the strongest collection of schools. And so every match is just very, very tough. So that was kind of something that drew me as well. And, and then, of course, it wasn't going to be as, as intense and rigorous, um, you know, of, of the athletic component. So I would be able to focus a little bit more um, on my academics. So we just felt like, you know, all of that, um, it's a great school, obviously, academic, great, you know, strong reputation. Um, and so that's why we ultimately decided that I would go to Bates and um, not to, you know, a division one school like a Wake Forest or a Penn State or something like that. So I ended up doing that um, and studied biochemistry and did all the pre-med everything. And um, but then, as we all know, I won the nationals and was number one in the country and that kind of led me to try to keep going <laughs> and then I fell in love with the pro tour and that was just an, an incredible kind of experience and education into itself so um, that's essentially how that all evolved sure so you you touched on Paul Gassingay right head coach at Bates still the head coach at Bates a guy who you know as you mentioned uh, had experience in the pro tour what was he like as a head coach? How did he help you over the course of four years? Yeah, I think that one of the biggest things that he helped me with was, you know, just kind of maturing, um, you know, being a little bit more of a team player too. I think I was, I wasn't really, I didn't play high school tennis very much. I played um, my freshman year, my senior year, um, but I only, I didn't really go to practice. I only ever went to some of the matches and that was just to help the team win. Um, so I didn't, uh, I wasn't great at being a teammate. Um, so that was one of those things. I was a great tennis player and I, and I helped the team in a lot, in a lot of ways in the sense that I played number one all four years and won a lot of matches and all that kind of good stuff. But in terms of just being like a teammate, um, that was something I had to learn and, you know, definitely made mistakes along the way. And, um, you know, the guys on my team can probably talk about that, even though, you know, maybe it's best not to, that was kind of what we, you know, had to go through together, but, um, it's all a learning experience and ultimately, you know, I have deep respect for every single player I played with and a lot of gratitude for them putting up with some of the stuff that I would do um, as being, you know, strong headed and, and super competitive and all that stuff. So coming in a little bit selfish and, and being that kind of individualistic person and then uh, Paul helping me with understanding a little bit more about being a, a better leader and um, teammate and things like that. And 
and also just being organized. I think time management skills, I had decent time management skills, but once the pre-med and the uh, tennis came together at that level, I, I needed more. So, um, you know, I think time management skill was big. Um, and then he also kind of taught me to have fun, you know, while I was kind of pursuing something um, big, you know, and we, we did talk about winning the nationals and, and being something as a, as a goal. So we had lofty goals from the start. Um, and, you know, obviously that's challenging, but he was really good about trying to like make sure that I understood, I was um, happy and, uh, you know, taking it step by step. Um, so if I had losses or things like that, it, we were able to talk through those. And if there was something uh, socially on the team that happened, you know, um, he was able to kind of uh, smooth things out and walk me through that um, with everybody. So I just think he did a great job in terms of just leading the team. Um, and tennis is kind of, a, you know, it's an individual sport. So everybody's kind of coming together as individuals, not necessarily the easiest thing to do. Um, and he did have to go through a culture change there with us. So, you know, uh, going from maybe a team that uh, just really focused a lot on just kind of having that family value and and not the super drive to, you know, win like the Nationals or something big, you know. Um, so he really kind of had to make a transformation there. And, and um, you know, I was kind of part of that process. And um, it was, it was uh, challenging, but we got through it. And by the time I graduated, we had you know, we had really um, a strong group of players that he had, you know, recruited with that mentality of let's be a team and let's be a family and let's have fun together. But then let's also take it really seriously and make sacrifices, um, especially on the weekends or something. And let's make sure we stretch and we, you know, are prepared for our matches and do our best to, you know, get some good performance out there. So um, that was kind of the challenge that he and I went through together. And I was, I think, the third All-American in the Bates um, history. And pa Paul was the second, and I think Bud Schultz was the first. And then after I graduated, I, I don't know how many there's been since, but it's been dozens. And so, you know, I think there was um, a good transformation there. And I'm proud to be, a, you know, kind of part of that, that moment. You know, anybody who lived through that can tell you it wasn't easy all the time. <laughs> Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about the, you know, the experience of competing in NCAAs, but not just like for, from you for singles, you were there for doubles. Twice I did play doubles, once uh, with Sam Duvall, and that was my junior year, um, and uh, that was out at, at UC Santa Cruz, um, where my kind of um, main rival on a national level, Matt Seberger, was, and then... Uh, uh, the senior year was um, with Tristan Beach. And, uh, you know, so that was great. I think we did manage to get All-American honors from those matches. Had you have a ton of experience with double coming into college or was that a newer thing for you? Yeah, no, doubles was not, uh, you know, I think a lot of college. Now as a college coach, that's funny because I see that happen a lot. But I think doubles is not a game you focus on as much when you're in the juniors. So, um, learning the strategy and the teamwork uh, aspect of doubles is um, not necessarily, you know, just super easy. Um, so for me, that took a while. Um, but I really enjoyed doubles, actually, and I fell in love with doubles um, because of, uh, you know, college tennis. So now, you know, I look forward to playing doubles. And, uh, you know, it can be a little tough when you have a partner who, um, beats him up, beats himself up a little bit, you know. I just like to go out and have a lot of fun and let's just support each other, kind of thing. Uh, but sometimes you get a partner who gets a little hard on themselves, and that can make it tough, you know, because you're kind of working on digging them out of the hole um, of negativity and trying to get them to be positive <laughs> while you're still trying to focus on tactically winning the match. But um, yeah, doubles for sure. My doubles knowledge and expertise went through the roof, um, you know, during uh, college. How did you develop as a player kind of over the course of four years? How do you see yourself improve? You mentioned becoming, you know, a better teammate, but maybe just from a tennis perspective also. Tactically, patterns uh, of play. I didn't really understand so much of, of patterns of play. I think that was a big thing. So the tactics of the game, both in singles and doubles, um, and also the, the mental, like, strength 
requirement, you know, so just being grittier and being able to handle, uh, you know, getting a serve broken or, or not, you know, and trying not to give edges to your opponent in terms of that, um, you know, breaking their hope in a way, um, you know, so, you know, obviously when you show your negativity, it, it just kind of boosts your opponent up. So keeps them in the zone, you know, so I think things like that, and I wasn't perfect at it. I, I still, as a pro, when I went on the tour, I still needed to work on that stuff and get it to be better. And it really wasn't until I was 28 that I finally made the ultimate breakthrough and, um, and got rid of negative feelings um, altogether. So I didn't, when I would play matches, I just wouldn't have negativity at all. And I wouldn't get, you know, upset. And I would just be out there very, very focused and um, determined uh, and, and concentrating on the tactics and what adjustments I need to make and things like that. So my focus on controlling the controllables and what those, what that means and what those things are, I think was what ultimately I was learning and, and improving on in college. And, and, you know, uh, coach Gaston Gay did a great job with that. So your junior year, your national runner up in singles and your senior year, you enter the tournament unseated. I mean, did right. that put some sort of chip on your shoulder a little bit? I mean, hey, I was second in the country last year. <laughs> right. Well, I think what happened was I had a senior thesis. So as you know, from Bates, like everybody has to write a thesis. And um, I chose to do a semester long research thesis um, instead of a year long lab thesis as a biochem uh, major. Those are your two options. And the spring season is really the most important uh, for tennis. So I decided to somewhat sacrifice the fall so that I could you know, do the thesis in the fall. And what ended up happening is I just really um, wasn't in the in the zone in the fall because I was so distracted by this thesis. Uh, you know, as you know, if you don't pass your thesis, you cannot graduate. So there's a lot of pressure on that. And you're kind of told that as you're, you know, getting, you, you know, you're enrolling there, you know, they kind of give you that warning, like, you know, that you know, you can't graduate unless you do this really big project. Um, and seniors, you know, complain about it every year. So you kind of leading into your senior year, you're really stressed about it. And so I was just very stressed about it. And I was thinking, you know, working on it. And it just made it hard for me, I think, in that season um, to perform well in the fall. And so I ended up having some losses there um, that, I mean, not to discredit the guys who, you know, I think, played well during those matches. Evan Tyndall, you know, played very well at MIT in the fall. Um, Nate Edmonds at, at Middlebury played very well. Brian Waldron at Middlebury also, I think he got a win against me in the fall. So, you know, a couple of these guys, you know, um, who were all top seed, top eight seeds at the, at the Nationals that year had beaten me in the fall. Um, and so I think that's why the seeding committee took me out of the seeding because I had just recently lost to those guys which makes sense. Um, but I, you know, really what happened is, was I just was academically super focused at that moment and was kind of putting tennis on the back burner for a second. Then I got, you know, uh, through that and I, and I managed to, uh, you know, do very well on my thesis. So I was very happy. And then I just turned all my focus to tennis at that point. And I, you know, my second semester senior year, I really didn't have that uh, many difficult classes. So I was, I had done all the kind of hard stuff in the sophomore and junior year. So, you know, it was pretty much smooth sailing to graduation day. And I just wanted to focus on the tennis. I was hitting the weights. I was in the gym, you know, I was playing lots of tennis, extra tennis. And, um, you know, I, I think I just really was hungry to win the title as opposed to losing in the finals or something like that. So um, that was kind of my main uh, focus at that point so I spent basically three or four months really really focusing on that and and then by the time we kind of made it out to nationals um, you know I kind of had a wave of just I've done the hard work I've done you know and this is coach kind of putting me here and mentally he just said look you've done the hard work you know it's it's all behind you now you've prepared the best you can so just go out and have fun and you know try to put the ball in one more time than the other guy and so that's what we did. Um, and we knew, you know, we knew who I was playing against because I'd played against a lot of those players already. So we had sort of game plans before stepping on the court. So for that helps, you know, because you kind of know right away what to do. 
um, as opposed to kind of using the first set to explore that. Um, and uh, with the match against Seaburger, because I lost the first set, um, you know, we kind of looking at each other going, oh, you know, not again. And I just kind of buckled down and just decided, you know, I was going to really try to stay more solid and not let him push me around as much as, as he was in the, the, you know, last year's match and then the first set of that match. So something clicked. I just started kind of running around my backhand a little bit more, using my forehand more, um, you know, and just uh, pumped up. I just got pumped up and I went into the zone and I just was, I, I just stopped missing, you know, I just really stopped missing the ball and got into the zone and that was it. I, I don't know. I just kind of went, went through the match and, uh, and it stayed like that. I mean, once I found that gear, I kind of just didn't let it go. And every match was pretty routine after that. I, I basically won every match in straight sets, I think from that point forward, but um, yeah, <laughs> something just clicked and I got really focused. I didn't get upset and just stayed, you know, with my forehand and moved my feet like crazy. And, you know, next thing I know I was the winner. So <laughs> it was, it was kind of really fast and it was surreal. And, you know, I think I did get into that zone where you don't realize like time is just kind of flying by and you don't even know what's going on. Um, so it was, it was a great feeling. Um, and that was a perfect way to end the college career, obviously. <laughs> so. for sure. Well, yeah, for some context there, Matt Seberger, you had faced him in the national championship match the previous year. Uh, this year was during the tournament, but it wasn't the final like it was the previous season. But in 2006, you, you did beat him after losing the previous year in the final. What made him uh, a tough opponent? What, what made those matches, uh, I guess, so, at least the second one, so dramatic? First one, he had home court advantage. I mean, he was at UC Santa Cruz on his home courts with probably two, 300 people there watching. Um, so he was, but he was, I mean, if you look at Seaburger's record, his collegiate record has to be one of the best ever um, of any division. He won the team and singles and doubles championship every single year. The only title he didn't win was the singles title when I took that away from him. So he had li literally almost every, a perfect type the college national championship like title, you know, <laughs> history. So I don't know. Um, Seaburger was just tough because he was really mentally strong. He never got upset. He was the nicest guy ever. He was a super quiet guy. He was just very internal, kind of an introverted guy. Um, and he just processed things in a way that was very mature from day one um, and just very level-headed, good, you know, tactically intelligent, um, could hit through the ball well, could slice, could hit top spins. Could hit. I mean, he really had – a lot of tools on his tool belt so <laughs> it was kind of hard to get through him and I mean he did go try to play on the pro tour too um, I think he did manage to get into the top 100 in the world in doubles uh, at one point so um, yeah if that's an indication of how good he is but he, he he's very good let's just put it that way he's not just an easy guy to beat <laughs> for sure did you stay in touch with some of your opponents after you graduated from college? I mean, when you went on the pro tour, you ever run across guys like him or anything like that? Or I, um, I have seen him. I did see him uh, a few times through, uh, on the tour, and we'd always just kind of, you know, be very friendly with each other. And, hey, how's it going? <laughs> um, I've bumped into some of the Middlebury guys uh, over the years. I, at the U.S. Open, I go every year, and, and I generally bump into a few people um, there, you know, so – um, yeah, I mean, there's at this point, I've played thousands of tennis matches. So, you know, when I go, when I go to the open where there's like, you know, a quarter million, you know, three quarters of a million people show up to the open every, every year over the course of the, obviously this year's not, but normally, um, you know, I, I, I bump into people all the time, you know, it just like happens, but, um, it's a small, you know, tennis is a kind of a smaller community like that. So, um, I mean, that's fairly fairly normal um but yeah we were we'll, we run into each other <laughs> so just take me through um your final match um there against the opponent from middlebury at ncaa's when you won the national title take right. me through yeah. that moment when you realize you know the point was won and you're the national champion what, what's going through your head 
I have a photo of that moment, actually. And it's, um, I have my hands raised up and my head is down. And it's just like, you see this look on my face of just like, I can't finally, you know, I just can't believe because you have a goal and you set it for such a long time. And, you know, you know, all the work you put into getting to that moment and then actually have it, you know, happen is, is great. So yeah, just, um, I don't know. Uh, it's a, just a release of, of stress, I guess. And all of it just comes out and you're just super happy. And, um, you know, and, and Brian's just such a good guy. So, you know, to win against him, he's a class act and I just like him a lot and I have a lot of respect for him and his game. So it really, you know, he, he, he's beaten me before. So, you know, all those matches are just kind of anybody can do it, you know, at any moment. So it was my moment um you know to do it and i was glad that i was able to have that moment but you know it could have just as easily been his or you know waldron or um, edmonds or you know uh, evan tindell um you know or uh half the draw so <laughs> so sure. it's really you know but it was great it was just a euphoric moment and uh and i'll always remember that and um you know it was great so happy to have had that I'm going to flash back when you first got to college again, I guess, since you were recruited by D1 schools as a first year and as a sophomore, were you, were you surprised at the level of play in division three or were you, did you feel like you were ready for it? Well, on my team, you know, coach had already told me that I was going to play number one, you know, pretty <laughs> much probably play number one. So I was prepared for, you know, being at the top of the pile there. Now, I didn't know necessarily if I was going to be the top right away or not, but, we played a bunch of challenge matches in the first few weeks of the, you know, and it became pretty clear that I was the strongest player on the team. So I felt confident to take the number one spot. Um, you know, Alex McDonald is, you know, a senior at that point, he played two. And I remember he came to my room once and said, are you sure you're ready to play number one? You know, there's a lot of pressure and, you know, just want to make sure you're okay to take it. And it was very nice of him to do that, you know, because he was kind of just looking out for me in terms of that. Um, and uh, as a senior and as a captain, you know, it showed the leadership he has and, and he just wanted to make sure, you know, kind of like as a, a, you know, man to man, like, are you cool to do this? Um, you know, are you going to be all right? <laughs> and, uh, so I was fine. You know, I just said, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm happy to do it. Like I I'll just do my best, you know, kind of a thing. And if it's not working out, we can always change me. You know, I can always go down and play whatever. So I'll just go where I'm told. Um, and it just worked out. So, you know, and him and I played doubles together and he's an awesome doubles player. I learned a lot from him too. I mean, he had incredible returns. I had terrible returns and he had great returns. And I had terrible volleys and he had great volleys. And he kind of taught me about taking the ball early and staying low and, and punching volleys as opposed to swinging at them and stuff like that. And my previous coaches growing up all, always told me not to swing at my volley, but, you know, it was just something I, I as a habit of doing. And he kind of like really showed me not to do that. So that was really helpful um from from him but um yeah i was i was surprised i think uh every match i played was not easy um you know all the number ones from these schools are good um and uh i think now looking at division one as a coach and seeing the d1 levels you know what what's become clear to me is that there's a depth difference so uh d1 has maybe you know eight guys who are all really good and d3 maybe has you know, two, three guys who are really good. So, you know, it's more just like a depth thing. Um, but the top guys at D1 and the top guys at D2 and D3, all those, you know, and I'm talking about nationally at that point, um, they're all like very good players and can, inter you know, like Todd Paul as a point of reference, uh, you know, Todd was number one in the country D1 when I was playing um, D3 and at top of D3. And Todd and I grew up in Connecticut here and, you know, we have a long history and we're great, you know, we're very, uh, you know, friendship. We have a good friendship and, and uh, respect for each other and things like that. So, you know, I've just known him for a really long time and, and uh, he's a very good tennis player. He got to 400 in the world and, you know, he's, he's an amazing player. We would play over the summer against each other, some practice sets and things like that. And, you know, we would, go back and forth with each other. So, you know, him being at the top of D1, me being the top of D3, and, and I would lose at D3, and he, you know, he would lose at D1. I, I just look at that as being kind of, that's what it is. I, I feel like the top guys in all these divisions are all 
fairly close to each other. Maybe, maybe the top, top guys in D1, you know, like, I don't know, maybe there's a few freaks out there who are like Dion, but I mean, in general, they're all pretty good players, you know? So just a depth thing. And then um, did you compete NCAAs your first two years also? I did play in my freshman year um, and my sophomore year. Yeah. So I got into both of those. We actually hosted the national tournament um, in my sophomore year. And I was the eighth seed, eighth seed or the 16th seed. I was one of the seeds, I think. So I think it was a seed. Actually, no, maybe it was, I was not seeded. But then I won a round and made it to the round of 16, something like that. So I ended up getting All-American title. Hmm. Um, but then I lost. Um, it was the hottest day in 100 years at, in Maine, <laughs> literally. The hottest day in 100 years. And the guy that I played was from Redlands, California. So he was Southern California guy, used to the heat, kind of. And I'm like in Maine training in the snow. Um, and then here comes the hottest day on record in, in a century. And I played in that and I cramped up, um, got, got a heat exhaustion was, I mean, I, I had, you know, 200 people from campus showed up at the, at the, um, the center, the tennis center there and, um, you know, just packed house, you know, nobody could sit anywhere. I mean, it was just, everybody's just jammed in sardines, you know, um, cause you know, hosting nationals, you know, so everybody there and then having one of us be at nationals. So, um, you know, it was just an exciting moment. I, I, I think I was actually leading in the early in the match. Uh, I was up like an early break and then everybody's like super pumped. And then I, I just, I just couldn't keep it going. I was so, I was so uh, dizzy and nauseous and the trainers were giving me mustard packs and I was just trying to like, they were doing anything they could pack an ice on me, but it just didn't matter. I was, I was cooked. I was going to ask you, I guess, yeah, about the experience of hosting NCAAs, but it sounds like it was fairly miserable, <laughs> at least for you. I mean, it was miserable in that <laughs> sense that I had to lose in front of everybody, right. but it was, you know, and crumble under the heat. But it was also like an amazing experience to have everybody there watching. And, and, you know, so that was cool. So I, you know, to me, it's just all, it was all good. You know, I, I was sad I lost, obviously, but it was just great to have that experience. So. Yeah, the Wallach Tennis Center was fairly new then, right? So, like, I mean, that, that right. was nice to have those facilities. Oh, it was super nice. Yeah, we didn't get to use it very much. I mean, a little bit in the fall, a little bit in the spring, but that's Northeast tennis for you. Certainly, certainly. Um, so, yeah, off the court, I read a Q&A about a lot of all-nighters uh, keep up with your academics, and you touched on yeah. this, how it affected you senior year in the fall, but how did you manage to, you know, be pre-med through, you know, and play tennis? <laughs> Like, yeah, I did have to pull some all-nighters, um, you know, which is not great. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not a genius. So, you know, I can't just show up to some of these, like, some of these, there's a lot of geniuses at Bates, you know. I, I, I think that's very clear. Um, so I wasn't like that. I mean, you know, a guy like Nate Stambaugh, who, you know, triple majored in, in math, chemistry, and physics, and then wrote a thesis that helped kill, you know, cure cancer. So, you know, I, I was like, not at that level, um, you know, uh, I would have to work towards it. You know, I had to really study a lot and, and go through my notes and, you know, um, so it was not like just super easy, but I really enjoyed the science, you know, science. So for me, it was fun to put that work in and do that. Um, you know, a couple uh, test scores that weren't great because I was just too utterly exhausted to study properly because I had, you know, one, I had one instance with bio, biology in my sophomore year. The professor wouldn't allow me an extension um, because we had gone to uh, MIT for an invitational tournament and ended up winning the tournament. So I played Friday, Saturday, and Sunday all day, every day. And I tried to study. I, I mean, I had the books with me in my in the van, and then I'd fall asleep on the books in the hotel room, and then I studied on the way back from you know the, from Boston, and then I fell asleep you know that Sunday night, and then Monday morning, 8 a.m. at the exam, and I didn't do very well. I was physically, mentally, totally exhausted, and I just didn't have the time. Um, but that was time management because I could have also tried to repair a little earlier you know, in that week, it just, you know, that's part of the learning, that's part of the time management. So, um, 
you know, if I could do it all again, I would do it better. But um, <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, it was a challenge for sure um, to do that. Um, but it's great. It, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And well, now you're the head coach at Sacred Heart. But for a while, you were grinding on the pro tour. I mean, I yeah. read a story about you sleeping in your car at times. I mean, yeah. tell me about the experience being on the pro tour when you, maybe you're, you know, you're coming from a D3 school, so you're, you're coming to try to move up that ladder without maybe the prestige of some other possible opponents and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, coming from a Division One school, you know, you're going to get a little bit more of it, maybe attention from sponsors or you know, IMG, maybe Academy, you know, who knows uh, what, but, um, you know, I was still a national champion. So that's still helped a lot um, in the eyes of people. And, you know, uh, that's, I think that was kind of the hardest thing, honestly, was affording the, to do it. Um, I, I really just didn't have the financial strength um, there. That was like, a major Achilles heel for me. So it was hard for me to afford, you know, any kind of professional training environment or go to these tournaments and live any kind of like a comfortable lifestyle. You know, <laughs> um, I did sleep in my car and, um, you know, I did try to like um, drive down to Florida, the, you know, the night before to then play the tournament and drive home so I could save for a night of hotel. I mean, silly stuff like that. Um, you know, and, and that's not good for your body. I mean, you're just destroying your body. And these guys are there for a couple of days before the tournament and they're staying in the hotel and they're, you know, totally fresh as a daisy. And you're like totally beat up from a 24 hour drive down from Connecticut to Florida, you know, stuff like that. So there's a lot of tournaments that just, you know, I wasn't anywhere near um, what I, you know, could be um, just because of the environment that I was in and the resources I had. But I tried to just make the best and there are people who have less. So, you know, that's the whole thing. I mean, there's people who had less than me and there's people who had more than me. And, and that's just always the case for all of us all the time. And I try to remind, you know, my, my players that too, you know, schools that have more resources than us, there's schools that have less. And, you know, you just got to use what you got and you just try to do the best you can with what you got. And I, it, you know, it's always, it was always a battle of fundraising, but then training, you know, because, chicken and the egg right so you, you got to win matches to get the people to donate and give you money or feel inspired enough or motivated to give you money so but you need money to train to then play the tournaments so, you know it's kind of this double-edged sword so i was teaching tennis too to try to also make the money and go out but ultimately i just believed that i had the ability to do it um you know bud schultz was a finalist he made it to the top 30 in the world um there were other players who I had played against who were doing well. So I could kind of feel that where my sort of potential was. The first tournament I ever played, well, second tournament I ever played was a few weeks after nationals. And I played a guy, Fabrice Mart Martin from France, who was like 400 in the world. And I lost like four and four or four and three, like one break in each set. And I said, well, this guy's like 400 in the world. And this is my like first kind of week or two weeks out on tour, you know, maybe I can, maybe I could do this, you know? Um, so that kind of gave me hope and inspiration kind of right away um, that I, that I could kind of do it. And I was seeing what the level was out there on the futures guys. And I was like, okay, like they're good, but it's not like totally insane, you know? Um, at least that's how I felt. Um, <laughs> I know a lot of people don't feel that way. They, they go to this place and oh my God, that guy's so good, you know? And, you know, I think if you're having that feeling, then you're probably in trouble. You know, you should never I don't think feel that way. Um, and as long as you're honest with yourself, then that's the most important thing. Don't be delusional. But um, no, I just always believed in myself in terms of my physical ability, my coordination, my competitive spirit, you know, that kind of stuff. So I was like, let me try. Um, and yeah, it was grind. I mean, it was a true, true grind, but it was a lot of fun. And I got to travel around it's, you know, once I got my first couple points, then I was able to get into different tournaments so I could travel around a little bit more. And um, so that was fun. And, you know, you start kind of networking with players and coaches and academies and you start kind of figuring it out and getting better training environments. And I got onto a club team in Hamburg. So they started paying me to play there. And so that was kind of good and, you know, learned some stuff there and then it goes to the next one. And then, you know, so 
um, yeah, next thing I know, I'm in the Montreal Masters in 2012 playing a month you know, qualities of a masters, you know? Um, so that was a, an amazing experience. And I'm a hitting partner for a guy who got into the Australian open. So I got to fly down to Melbourne and be, you know, uh, all, you know, basically you, you get the pass to go all over the place. So I get to see what that whole thing is like and interact with a lot of the, the best in the world and see what they're doing with their teams and learn about that. So there was a lot of great experience that I had um, just doing, doing it um, even if I didn't make it to the top you know 100 and I think the natural people ask me like why did you stop you know or how did you know just when to stop that's another kind of point to figure out and uh, you know some people oh why did you go so long you should have stopped at 25 you know Uh, but the job wasn't done for me at 25 you know I, I still knew I had more in me and I hadn't gotten the world ranking point yet so I was like I want to get a world ranking I want to be a professional tennis player you know and do think that that's important um so and I knew I was very close so it just was a matter of time for me and and it it did eventually hit at uh 27 26 27 five years in it was right around that time when I started mentally getting you know all kind of calm down and maturing that was when I was able to kind of do it so um that was a thing but once I played Roundage uh when I was probably 26 and we went three sets Milos was I don't know if you know who Milos is but Milos Roundage is kind of a household name now in tennis um but back then he was 900 in the world and you know 145 mile an hour serve you know this giant guy you know with not a great back end but um you know good serve basically and uh, decent forehand and volleys um and i played him in a futures in florida and it was three sets and i you know and people were like oh do you, you know do you know this guy who you just played i mean he's actually kind of an up-and-comer you know he's going to be this guy is going to be something you know and uh <laughs> i was like oh okay cool um so it you know Fast forward a couple of years, I guess I'm 28 now, 29 probably. And I see him in the finals of Wimbledon and I'm like, okay. So, you know, just a few years ago, we were like neck and neck. And now you're like playing like Federer in the finals of Wimbledon. So what's the difference, you know? And okay, he's got a 145 serve. I've got a 135 serve. So, you know, yes, he has a pretty huge serve, but uh, it's not everything. But what he had a good team and he had big support from tennis Canada. And I mean, he's very talented. I'm not saying that he's not, and he's a great, uh, you know, he's a great player. Um, but I, I don't think that, you know, if you were to ask Milos and be like, Oh, uh, is Will a, a terrible tennis player? I think he would say, no, he's actually pretty good. You know, and we've seen each other, you know, we trained with each other after that. Uh, we trained with each other in Montreal for a couple of weeks. Um, and we would bump into each other periodically at tournaments along the way. And there was always that, <laughs> there was always that respect because he did play me and he does know what I can do. And even though he got to become a star and be the top, you know, really at the top of the game, I think there was always sort of an appreciation for the fact that he had a little bit more support than I did. And, you know, and, and I think there's a lot of players out there that suffer from the same consequence um, of just not having that support, um, you know, and, and that's okay. That's fine. It's just the way the, the world is. So I don't hold grudges to any player. You know, I'm just like, that's awesome. Good for you. You've got all that. Um, I hope that you would appreciate it. <laughs> you know, I hope you appreciate it and you use it and use it wisely and, and all the rest. And, and, and I think he does a great job representing the sport and uh, so I'm glad that he, he made it all the way up there. And with all the players, they're all, they're all good guys. So, Sure. I, I, you mentioned a lot of people ask you why you stopped. I'm going to ask you why you started only because you were supposed to go to med school. <laughs> I, mean, I know. I've always competed in tennis. It was always, always the love, you know, that I had since I was five. I mean, I loved it. So um, I, I just didn't feel done. You know, you just don't feel – you hadn't reached the end yet. Um, and I felt like there was more for me to gain and go farther in the game. Um, and just, I knew also, and we talked with coach about this and other, and my family and, and friends and stuff. And, 
um, we all felt like I should go try because med school will always be there. And if that's really what I'm supposed to do, then you can do that in your 30s. You can do that in your, there's people go to become doctors in their 40s and 50s. It's not something you have to do right away. Sure. And, but tennis and pro tennis, that has, a, you know, um, there's, a, there's a time limit <laughs> because your body physically just runs out of gas. So, um, I mean, I think Federer's pushing, um, you know, that a little bit farther, pushing the envelope on that. But um, when, I, when I was 22, it was Andre Agassi at 35 being like, this guy's pushing it, you know? Most people thought like 30 was kind of the end game, you know, for pro tennis on the men's tour and stuff like that, and even younger for the women. So um, it was like, go give it a shot and see how it goes. But once I went out, I just fell in love with it. I just thought, wow, this is so cool. We've got players from all over the world. They're unbelievable at this game. It's so fun to watch. It's so fun to hit with them and play with them and be at this level and travel around and see these different cities and however I have to do it. I mean, there was guys on tours there's one guy who lives in a school bus and, you know, uh, travels around in the school bus and he lives in it and he has, he sells the bed for $10 a night. You can stay in the, in the thing and he strings rackets and he has, he goes to the Chick-fil-A opening. So whenever you go to, if there's a Chick-fil-A grand opening, if you go there, they basically have a party and you go, if you stay the whole time from, it's 24 hours from eight in the morning to the following eight in the morning, they'll give you a year's worth of Chick-fil-A coupons. So this guy would like, find out where these things are and go to them and get years supplies of food for this and then give them to players and all this. I mean, trust me, the tour is nuts. There's players just doing all sorts of stuff out there to survive it. I was doing laundry in my, you know, in my room, in my sink, and then like using a tennis string as a clothesline and hanging it. I mean, trust me, you save a dollar any way you can, you know? <laughs> certainly, certainly. Um, I was curious, now you're the head coach there at Sacred Hearts. We touched on, um, I, you mentioned earlier how maybe coming into college, you weren't necessarily like the biggest team guy. You had to learn how to be a team guy. Did you ever envision right. yourself being the head coach of a college tennis team? I mean, that's crazy, right? Well, I, well, no. And I kind of wanted to get into college coaching um, after the tour was done. So I went to Fairfield U, you know, cause I'm from this area and they had an assistant position open and he's like, yeah, I'll pay you like five grand a year. And I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Five grand? How do you make, how do you survive on five grand? <laughs> you know? So um, it just didn't make sense. So I was kind of saying, okay, I'll do the normal thing. What everybody in tennis does, <laughs> like they go to wall street or whatever. And so I had an investment firm in Westport. who was going to take me on and I was going to sign the, the uh, uh, U4 form and hand that in. And, and it was so funny because at that moment, um, Monday morning was when I was going to walk into this guy's office and hand him this form and start working for him. And that weekend, I got a call from Sacred Heart and they said, hey, would you like to come in and do the interview? Because we just, we have an opening for the head men's and women's tennis program. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Um, so I decided that uh, that's what I wanted to do and uh, try, try to get. So I pushed the the investment guy off for a week and I said, Hey, you know, let me check this out, you know, cause I really do want to do college coaching. And it's really the one thing I, I hadn't done, you know, um, I'd coached, you know, pro players, I'd coached WTA and ATP players. I'd coached juniors I'd coached at these clubs and done all the members and all that stuff, but I'd never really coached like college tennis. And I always thought it was interesting. So um, I went in for the interview and I kind of told him my story, um, how I played college tennis and, went on the tour and had to find sponsors and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, they just, they, they hired me kind of on the spot and uh, the rest has been history, but I think I'm kind of a, a good guy for it because I wasn't a team player, but I learned the value of it. And, you know, there were a lot of things I learned later in life um, as an, as a more of an adult. And uh, so I think that helps because I can really explain things clearly um, and I get it, you know, I was a racket smasher um, later in life, you know, all, you know, in the juniors and in college and a little bit even on the tour. So, you know, it was kind of um, something I had to uh, learn to, you know, to do later. And that 
I consciously had to do it. You know, I had to do it. It wasn't something natural that happened as I was young or, you know, and you don't know how it happened. So I get to work with players now who have these emotional issues, um, you know, who can't control their emotions or get really frustrated or, you know, whatever their perfectionism gets the best of them. And I'm able to work with them now and, and, and kind of show them the light and how to control that and control that energy, direct it in the right way. And, um, the results now, you know, from the teams have been great and the players are really enjoying it and we're having a great culture and it's a great experience and, you know, it's a lot of fun for me. Um, so, I mean, it's a lifestyle um, choice. I mean, Wall Street, you make a little bit more money for sure, potentially, but, uh, you know, I enjoy the lifestyle I have right now and the teams are great. So I think coach Gay can relate um, to that. And, you know, that's why he's been doing it forever, I think. And that's why I think, coaches when they get into it um you know kind of stick around because it is a lot of fun um it's a lot of work but it's a lot of good fun work so uh anything else you want to mention about your time at Bates we haven't gotten to discuss or anything like that um no no I just I, I enjoyed it and I think um you know I, the campus is so beautiful and um you know for me I just had such a great experience there with tennis with academics and the people that I met there and um, it was just an impressive it's an impressive place to go for four years um, and the people that you, you kind of like bump into along the way um, are all very very talented in many different areas and um, so it's just a, it's a cool little community there um, and the alumni is very strong and anytime I ever like need anything you know I know that I can kind of count on the Bates alum network to kind of helped me. Um, and so that's been great. Um, so no, it's just all very, very positive, um, you know, experience. And, you know, uh, I think they do a good job creating an environment where you can, you know, make mistakes and learn from those mistakes and, and move on. So I just wish uh, uh, Coach Gaston Gay all the best in his uh, career here. And, um, you know, I, he's just had an amazing run. And I hope, uh, you know, he can, you know, win a, a team championship one day. That would be obviously fantastic. It's, it's really not easy to do, but he's doing an amazing job. He's run an incredible uh, program for so many years. And um, now he's coaching me how to coach. So, you know, it just doesn't stop. That relationship doesn't stop. And I owe so much to that man. It's incredible. Um, and, and he's given so much to so many and, um, you know, I just respect him so much and I appreciate everything he's, he's done for me. Next time on the Bates Bobcast. We'll have another interview with a Bobcat great from years gone by. That's next time on the Bates Bobcast. Bye.